Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. James here, filling in on hosting duties for Ollie. And today I'm joined by Catherine and Gracie, but also a very special guest, a former Formula One driver, current Formula E driver, but not just a driver, a race winner, a champion, no less. Also now the most experienced member of the Formula E grid. Hello everyone, I'm Luca Tigrassi and you're listening to the Formula Nerds Cut to the Race podcast. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Brian Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Profi. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Hello, and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. Lucas Degrassi, how are you? Hello, James. Uh, hello, Grace and, and Catherine. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for the time today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's definitely our pleasure. Uh, for those of our listeners who might not be as familiar with you, do you want to just quickly explain a bit about yourself and what you've done so far? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a former nerd um, <laughs> so uh, myself. Uh, so, uh, uh, although uh, I love racing, I love uh, nerdy stuff. Uh, whatever that means but uh, no uh, on a serious note I always loved engineering and I I had my career I I, I started in go-kart when I was young Uh, then I moved up to Formula 3 I won the the Macau GP the the World Cup in Formula 3 then I went to Formula 2 which back then was called GP2 Um, I I was vice champion uh, and then I did one year in Formula One, which was not a successful year uh, with Virgin Racing, their first year in the in the in the, in, in the Formula One. Uh, then I moved to endurance racing, uh, which I did four times Le Mans, and I was vice champion in WC in LMP1 uh, with with Audi, and then continued with Audi into Formula E, which I did now uh, eight seasons, uh, 100 races. I won one of the uh, championships. Uh, in season in 2016-17 and currently I'm driving for uh, Mahindra Racing which is the, a new team that I just changed uh, for now season 9 Well yeah, we'll start with Formula E and uh, yeah, I mentioned you're now Formula E's most experienced driver and congratulations on 100 races and 1000 points uh, What's been your highlight so far? Oh, thank you very much Yeah, I, I was the First driver, uh, actually, I was the third person uh, to be in the Formula E uh, um, build-up. So when Alejandro got the license from uh, Jean Todd uh, to, to to do this electric championship, uh, I had a very good personal relationship with Alejandro because uh, the year he he bought uh, the Campus GP2 team, I drove for him for half of the season, and we end up winning the title that year for the team and I finished third and my teammate was Vitaly Petrov and so after that we became very good friends and so when Alejandro started building Formula E I was helping 
uh, two years before we had the first car. So the first car was actually beginning of, uh, beginning of 2014, but the championship had to be built uh, from uh, mid-2012. So I, I really put my career on the line for Formula E, so I, we needed to make it work. It was a... Uh, uh, it's almost like a fate, but in the first ever race, I was running third. Prost and Heidfeld had a huge accident in the last corner. They were fine, uh, but I won the race, uh, even uh, if it just like fell on my, le- uh, my lap uh, in, in the last corner. So I won the first ever race, uh, finished third that year in the championship, then the year after I finished second, then the third year I won. Um, and yeah, and I had a, a couple of uh, good victories in Formula E. The, maybe the most iconic one was in Mexico, which I managed to pass Pascal Verlein in the last few meters of the race when he ran out of energy, uh, something like, I don't know, 10 meters to the, to the finish line. Uh, but also some more recent ones like the race in London, which um, I won the London E Prix, managed to, to, uh, to pass uh, to overtake Jake Dennis. Um, it was almost like a strategic race, almost like a chess game that we had to play uh, like, catch and, uh, like cat and mouse in that uh, London Ypres. So I had, a, I had a lot of good memories in, in, in Formula E and uh, uh, yeah, I hope to, to have many more still to come in the next few years. And so looking back over these hundred races, you've had some pretty dramatic moments. As you said, you finished third in the inaugural season, and then you went um, to an agonizing second place in the 2015-16 season too, before finally getting revenge on Sebastian Buemi and finally taking the championship the following year. I mean, firstly, how satisfying was that? And also, can you tell us a bit about what it is like to have such a crazy finale the year before and that early crash and then basically fighting for the fastest lap, like a title decider that like, it was nothing like we've ever seen? <laughs> um, yeah, so we had a, a crazy moment in the beginning of Formula E, especially in these first three years and the two finals. Uh, so I was fighting with Buemi pretty much most of the time. And... In true honesty, I, I should have won in season two because actually I was disqualified from one race that I won um, in, um, in, a, in, a, in Mexico because of uh, uh, we had to change battery in the last minute and the batteries, they were not equivalent. So the weight of both batteries were not the same. So there was no time to go to the FIA scales because we were in a rush and was a, it was like a common part failure. The battery just failed. It was not that there was a crash or something. So then we, we ended up, uh, I think, 900 grams below the weight limit and we got disqualified. Otherwise, we would have won that, uh, that uh, year very easy. And on the other hand, season three, uh, Sebastian should have won because he won four or five races in a row. Um, Renault came up with a very, very efficient powertrain, so they had the upper hand, um, uh, and uh, he should have won. So, But uh, he did a mistake in the, last, in the last round, crashed. He had the same problem. He had to change battery, uh, got, got a penalty, so it was always an, oh, it was a big mess, and I managed to turn around and win the title. So, uh, yeah, um, I had a I had a lot of fun, a lot of up and downs. Uh, made some uh, bad decisions, good decisions in uh, in uh, 
like everybody does in their life. Uh, I did it in my in my in my career also in Formula E, and but I don't regret anything. I think I had a, a, a few a few amazing moments that I remember forever. Even for the good side and the bad side, you it, it, in the end, in the long run, uh, what matters is that. Uh, um, we had fun. Uh, championship had an entertaining uh, race, and we moved on to a uh, to a new level of the championship uh, the year after that, and the year after that. But now, looking into the future, we've seen you've been testing the Gen Three car this week in Italy, and how different is that now from the Gen Two cars? Uh, very, very different. The car is a, is a beast. It's very fast. Uh, the, the the not in terms of pure lap pace because we lack grip. Because our tires are not very grippy, uh, it's uh, it is a decision from the organizers. We could have gone three, four seconds faster per lap with a with a let's say with a traditional race tire, uh, soft, slicks, because the car has a lot of power. So with the three fifty kilowatts um, the, and the car being about sixty to seventy kilos lighter than last year, the car accelerates in the same level as a Formula Two now. So extremely fast. I think uh, it's the uh, one of the fastest accelerating car that I ever uh, uh, driven. Of course, uh, still doesn't still accelerate. The power to weight ratio is still less than Formula One and LMP One, but the car has the potential to have the power to weight ratio even higher than Formula One because on the front axle. So coming back a step, what did it change from Gen Two to Gen Three? Now we have two motors on the front and rear axle. The front axle motor is 250 kilowatt constant. The rear motor is 350 kilowatt constant. Um, in the first year, they will only be used for region, but they can be used for power as well. So if you make both both motors at maximum power, uh, pulling the car in a four-wheel drive mode, um, the car can reach more than one kilo per horsepower average. That's very important because when we talk about Formula One or other series, you talk about peak horsepower. The, the engines are very peaky. So always uh, you talk about, ah, what's the maximum power of that car? And that doesn't matter really. What matters is the usable um, horsepower based on the gear ratio. So imagine you have a 1,000 horsepower car, but you're stuck in fifth gear. You cannot get out of the lights, right? Because you cannot never reach that 1,000 horsepower at, let's say, 7,000 RPM. So it's very important when the, you talk about average power. And when you have an average power of more than one horsepower per kilo, it's a beast. Uh, it uh, would be the, probably the fastest accelerating car in any category um, out there. Wow. Uh, it would be pretty much grip-limited grip 0 to 200 kph. So we won't be able to put full throttle at uh, nearly 200, k, 200 kph. So the car has a huge potential. Uh, the downside of the of the car, the car has in terms of uh, the car has very little aerodynamics, so there is no much downforce. So that's one of the reasons why the car is so much grip limited. The tires are are made to last for many events. Actually, you can do the whole day of testing with one tire, easy. So the tires are very hard, um, and that is on the sense that they wanted to be more sustainable in tire usage and also keep the car sliding. So it's 
it's actually it's counterintuitive, but the least amount of grip you have, the more difficult it is to drive. So the more downforce, the more grip you have on the tires, actually the easier the car is to drive. Um, so it was a way to continue to make the car hard to drive, and I think it is extremely hard to drive. <laughs> and the car is a very reliable. Re, uh, there is a um, the driving is very different because of this front axle motor. So you have a differential in the front, which means that it's very funny sometimes because of the differential forces when you brake into a corner and you lock the wheel. Actually, the wheel that is locked spins to the other side because of the forces of the differential. So you enter in the corner and you have the wheel spinning backwards on the inside. And when you lock it, uh, because you have much more mass in the front axle, you have the diff and everything, to unlock it, it takes much more time um, or much more force. So you need it takes more time to lock. So if you do a mistake in braking, you carry over this mistake for much more meters than you would do in a normal single-seater car. So, uh, yeah. So the, the this is pretty much the main differences from the gen from the gen two. Um, and uh, yeah, and then probably we're gonna have uh, charging during the races, so there will be a pit stop again. Um, the tire is very consistent to temperature. Before with the Michelin, you had to do like one lap and stop, change tires and do one lap again. Now you can do many laps in a row. So that will change also the dynamic of the weekend. So yeah, there is, uh, we don't have, uh, another interesting feature is that we don't have mechanical rear brakes. So you look at the cars and where are the rear brakes? There is none. So 100% of the braking in the rear uh, is done by the motor. It's like an engine braking uh, in an extreme version of an engine braking that we are familiar with in the roads. When you go downhill, there is that uh, sign, right? Yeah. Keep your yeah. uh, keep your gear engaged. Yeah. But with an electric motor, you can actually fine tune electronically or digitally as you whatever you want that uh, engine braking to be. Because you can choose more horsepower, less horsepower. You can choose. You can choose. You can choose more, less. You can choose for it to unlock by itself, like an automatic ABS. I mean, it's, it's basically a software. It's an algorithm that controls the rear uh, and part of the front braking. So it's it's very very different to uh, uh, to drive at the moment. That's fascinating. I mean, I can see what you mean about being a fellow nerd now. That's uh, <laughs> that was like properly technical. That's, yeah, that your love for enge engineering is uh, totally clear. Um, yes, are you optimistic about what Gen Three can do for Mahindra? What do you think you and the team can do to to you know regain their former glory? Yes, so I'm I'm very optimistic, and um, uh, we had a departure of our team principal. Uh, uh, one week ago, <coughs> that um, will create a little bit of a let's say of a of a, a downturn in the short term because Dubag was a great person. He uh, he put the team where it uh, where it is at the moment, and um, so in the short term we need to keep our focus and keep our forces on development of to keep the development of the program without wasting too much resources in, in, in this new organization of the team. Uh, but 
I'm very happy with the with the with the hardware of the powertrain, and uh, I believe we're we are a little bit behind the other teams in terms of software development. But this is something you can change during the season. Software is pretty much you can do as much updates as you want. So we have a good simulator. We have a good uh, we have a good team. We have good people there. Um, we have uh, an amazing facility in the UK, which uh, Mahindra operates from, and great partners like um, ZDF and uh, and and Shell, for example. And everybody thinks that what Shell is doing in a, in a, in a uh, in an EV, but Shell is actually developing a very special patented and solely exclusively usage for us that reduces the friction on the gearbox and in the motor. So you gain efficiency. So only on the oil, uh, by being very, very specific to this powertrain and to electric motors, you can gain range, you can gain efficiency. So that's actually the partnership that we have with them. And uh, yeah, and uh, Roland is a, uh, a very quick, very good teammate, has proven to be very quick in many races last year, was a bit unlucky in many of them, but uh, had a, had a, in terms of pace, had a very good season. So yeah, I'm very confident that we will uh, will will fight for uh, for victories this year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you have a new era, a new car, a new team, and a new teammate, what are you looking mostly forward to in season nine? Uh, to keep winning. <laughs> I think that's what I'm uh, most looking uh, for. But um in every every time we have a transition like this, especially from one generation to another, what we have to pay attention is um, how do you optimize what is needed to be fast? Because we had four years with Gen two to optimize everything. So it was the same tire, was the same strategy in the race, was or at least seemed very similar strategy. We changed power levels with the races and attack mode and so on, but very similar concept very similar way to do now it's completely new so there's a lot of things that we don't need to do anymore and a lot of things we'll need to find out how to do it better so we need to be the first ones to find out how to do these things better um and then for sure we will have an advantage <clears throat> and uh yeah i think what i'm most looking for is uh yeah to to raise this ah, and i didn't mention so the the new <clears throat> gen 3 car is also smaller and narrower then uh, Gen 2 car is, uh, I think it's uh, uh, 10 centimeters narrower and uh, 20 centimeters uh, uh, shorter. So also the car will fit better the type of track that we race. So I'm really looking forward uh, to see how this uh, plays out in, the, um, in, a, in, a, in a normal race. And also, are you, how are you like looking forward to also race in Brazil this year now in your home country? I was just discussing this actually on the WhatsApp before joining you guys here on the on the on the um, on the podcast. I'm very excited that Brazil has joined the calendar. We made a huge effort uh, to get Brazil on board since uh, season one. Actually, Brazil was the first ever race we announced in Formula E in Rio, and unfortunately, this 
didn't materialize in the end because of a series of, uh, uh, let's say, political decisions that followed through. But then after that, we tried again in season three and four to get Sao Paulo. And then finally, it's looking very, very likely, uh, I would say 99.9%. I will only be 100% when we are at the grid and the, the, the red lights, they go off. But 99.9% that uh, will have the, the uh, many years of Formula in Brazil. And that will be very important because Brazil has a very strong motorsport culture. But because um, uh, we had so many successful Formula One drivers that the, the, the tendency in general is for, and because Formula One is, has grown so much in the last few years, uh, the tendency is always you know, to, um, uh, to promote and to always... Uh, ask about Formula One and all the media to get all the attention about Formula One. And uh, even in other countries, even considering we had we have two Brazilian drivers in, in Formula E, is not to give the space that other countries they give to Formula E, like UK, Germany, and so on. So that was due to, uh, I would say, not having the right broadcaster, not having a race there, and so on. So now with the right broadcaster, with the right ra- with the race there, I think we can definitely start growing the market in Brazil and it will be very important for the series. But of course, very important for me personally, because I'm from Sao Paulo. I was born and raised there. So I'll be very happy to have the race in my hometown. So as you mentioned, obviously, you're teaming up with Oliver Rowland next season. Um, he's obviously already been at Mahindra and he's already settled in. So do you expect him to pose a tough challenge as a teammate next year? Uh, definitely. Um, that's one thing that I found this year with Venturi. When I joined Venturi, uh, Mortara has been had had been in the team for four years or five years, so he he knew very well his engineer, his data engineer, his performance, and this communication is like a it's like a company or like a friend. You know, after a while, you know what your friend is gonna. You know, uh, after how many beers your friend cannot have the next one. You don't even need to ask him, right? So it's almost like this uh, relationship happens between the engineers and the mechanics. It creates a dynamic which flows naturally. And over the course of many races, this creates performance. So definitely there is um, a big advantage of continuing uh, or following up another year in the team. But if you have to make a decision to change teams, changing the teams at the same time you change the car and the whole structure of the racing, like we discussed, is probably the easiest. Probably the last year, the fourth year of a, of a generation, or in this case, was the hardest one because it was exactly the same as it was in the previous three years. Now it's new for everybody. So across all the different series so far in your career, who do you consider to have been your toughest teammate at this point? It's a hard one, but um, I think René Rast last year was... Uh, very tough. Edo, again, for these reasons that I we described, also was he was very strong this year. He, he improved a lot about he improved a lot about learning how to drive the Gen 2 as the years progressed and staying with the team and with the engineer. So I had to learn to drive kind of the car he already raced. Um, but let's say Rene was kind of the opposite. I knew the car, he jumped in and he was very strong from race one. I managed to beat him at the very last race, which I won in Berlin. Um, but uh, it's a very strong teammate, and uh, he deserved all the three DTM titles that he won. 
uh, and uh, yeah, probably he was um, the, the strongest teammate I had in uh, in, uh, in all these years. So, and we're speaking about the future of Formula E, and we're seeing many um, many of those that are leaving the feeder series. They are joining Formula E, like you know, we have Sergio Setacamara, we had also Dan Dixon. They all came from there. So, if there could be another driver to join the championship now, is there like a certain driver that you would want to see in Formula E? Um, actually, I'm helping Felipe Drugovic to uh, to see if he's. Um finds a seat in, uh, in Formula E. I know that he will be reserved at Aston, but the reserved driver these days are basically drinking coffee because uh, there is very little to do. Okay, you do two or three Fridays during the whole year, um, but there is no much testing to do. So it would be very good to see him, another Brazilian, which is coming up and very talented and came with a background with um, um very hard. You can see that he had very few sponsors in Formula Two. Most of it was his family and uh, and helps from from friends and family. So I think he would be he would be very good there. Obviously, yourself, you raced in uh, Formula Two, which was then GP two for four years, and then obviously three of them you finished the championship in the top three. So do you believe that the F two series is doing enough to offer opportunities to the young talent that's coming through? Yes, I think so. Um, Formula Two offers the best opportunity for for uh, for the drivers to uh, to go up the ladder. Um, I I would just for me I would like to have a certain if let's put it this way to make motorsport more fair to the talent. I would like to have a more structured uh, ladder in which let's say the top uh, the top two of Formula 3 automatically goes to Formula 2. The top two of Formula 2 automatically go to Formula 1. The bottom two of Formula 1 automatically goes back to Formula 2. So there were like an exchange. You could like a, eventually a jump. System, basically. Like what, sorry? Like a football, like a table from football. L- like the Champions League, or like yeah. the Premier League and, the, and the, yeah, something like this. I know it's not easy and I know there is a lot of commercial and all their interests uh, around. Maybe you can jump directly from Formula 3 to Formula 1, like Verstappen did or all the drivers did. It could happen that, but in a system that creates at least uh, a meritocracy, that if you if you, um, if you you deliver in that series, you move up. If you don't, you move down. Or let's say, even in the future, if uh, Formula E is also owned by the same Formula 1, Formula 2, so maybe the top two of Formula Two goes to Formula One, the third and fourth goes to Formula E, or you know something like this that you could create uh, a meritocracy that you know that if you invest the money and you have the results, you're gonna be there. And if you are there and you deliver, you're gonna you're gonna stay there. Let's say let's put it this way. So this is for me what is lacking a bit in motorsport. Uh, although I have to say that with now with the cost caps uh, in Formula One, some cost caps coming to Formula E, this creates so meritocracy becomes more important. Having a driver that scores is more important than a driver that brings money. Uh, and then you need good drivers. So, for example, like Nick DeVries, uh, which had his uh, actually he didn't have a, a good Formula E season this year, uh, Nick. Uh, from the former Mercedes powertrain, he was the fourth, even being champion the year before. 
But he did an amazing job when the opportunity came in Formula One and he fully deserved the seat, in my opinion, to show what he can do. And Nick actually was our reserve driver in Audi in, uh, in Formula E in the very beginning before he joined Formula 2. Actually, in the same year that he was in Formula 2, he was also testing for us in, in Audi. And I rated him very, he is very hardworking and so on. So uh, I would say that, um, yeah, uh, the system is already better than a few years back that people can could just pay their way up and Formula One teams, they were struggling financially, so the money was important, so they didn't care what was the background. Uh, Super License is trying to do something like this to create uh, numbers, but the, the way the system calculates the license points, I don't fully agree 100% how it's done, uh, like with this Colton Herta case that uh, recently emerged. But anyway, I think the system has its flaws, but it has been getting better uh, with uh, in the last few years. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the main thing. It's a really interesting point you put forward. I mean, like you say, it'd be very difficult and there'd be complicating factors. But yeah, a relegation promotion thing, you know, it'd add a lot of uh, interest could, to the... the it could be interesting because then you have well, to... Yeah. Yeah, that, and then you have to make sure that the team is like, you have to be in the right team and you have to, you know, uh, yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, like you said, whilst we're on the subject of F2 and GP2, uh, whilst you were there, you drove with some big F1 names. Okay, obviously, you know, none bigger than Lewis Hamilton, but Nico Hulkenberg, Roman Grosjean, Pastor Maldonado. So what was it like coming through the ranks with them? Uh, what were all your characters like as, you know, young guns fighting also, through? And Kubica. Uh, yeah, Kubica. Yeah. yeah um, uh, did anyone particularly Kubica, stand out? Uh, Vettel, um... Uh, I think Hamilton was always the guy to beat. Uh, when I joined Formula 3 Euro Series, he, I finished third that year. So Hamilton finished first. Sutil finished uh, second. I finished third. Vettel finished fifth. Di Resta was my teammate that year at Manor. I think finished seven or eight. Van der Gaard was there. And there was a lot of other Formula 3 drivers. Uh, but Hamilton won, I think, 15 out of uh, 22 races uh, that year. Um, I won another two or three, and Suti won the rest. I mean, there was like, oh, somebody won one. So Hamilton was always the guy to beat, and the year after, he went to uh, Formula 2, won the championship also. So he was always, uh, he was always very impressive. In, uh, <clears throat> I would say... Uh, Kubica also very talented. Um, Vettel for me was a, a, a big surprise uh, because I think I thought that he was talented, but uh, there was a little bit of doubt because, um, in my opinion, because uh, Diresta. So when I was a teammate, I was a teammate of Diresta, but I was in my second year. Diresta was in his first year of Formula Three, so I, I finished in front of him. And then they did a second year in the same team as Hamilton and Sutil did the year before. They moved to ART. Back then it was called ASM. And was Vettel second year and the rest a second year. Uh, and the rest actually was finished in front of Vettel. Um, and then Vettel went to World Series, did I think half a season, was okay and then he got the chance to drive the BMW and did very well in Formula One. And then his career take, took off. But he was not very impressive in the in the junior series. So it's it's very hard uh, 
to some some drivers they are very impressed for example in go-karting and they go nowhere some drivers they get they are very impressive until a certain horsepower and then they go nowhere some drivers are nowhere and then when they drive formula two or formula one they are very very good so it's 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 also depends on the team and that's why motorsport is a very is it's it's not always very fair because there is a lot of subject there's a lot of not subjective, but there is a lot of moving parts that ended up to have a result. And sometimes the, the, the driver talent could be masked or could not be helping the driver or in that particular season, the driver is not well. And if you're not well in your junior category, if you, do, if you don't do a good one or two years in Formula 3, Formula 2, you're completely out of the scope. So imagine a guy like Ricciardo, for example, he would have had this year that he had now uh, but in Formula 2 or Formula 3, he was probably out of the, 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 let's say, the Red Bull program, which was not fair because he's a super talented guy. So it, it really, it, motorsport has a lot of nuances. I think this is the beauty of the sport, but also it's not the, the fairness that it needs to be. And throughout your career, you also got the opportunity to drive in Formula 1 in 2010. So how did racing in Formula 1 compare to then racing in Formula E? Uh, well, my, my career in Formula 1 was a disaster because uh, uh, the, when I joined the team, it was the first year of the team. The car was nowhere. We were overweight. Fuel tank was done incorrectly, so we almost could not finish the races because of fuel. There was a lot of mistakes, a lot of flaws. Uh, the car was five seconds off the pace. So I enjoyed uh, my experience, but not as much as I, I, I would have hoped because it was not even possible to compete with anything. We competed against Caterham and uh, the, the Spanish team there that was there. Uh, but it was not really never a competition. You go to the track knowing that you do the best job of your life, you're going to finish 15. Uh, if you do the worst job of your life, you're going to finish 18. I mean, it doesn't, it didn't motivate me back, back then. In Formula E or in Formula 2, what I really like is that at least the cars are very similar. And in the end, if you do a very, very good job, you can actually overcome some of the differences between the cars and the teams. Uh, and F1 has gone more equal now with some of the components being more, uh, let's say, equal. But still, there is a massive difference between the cars. So uh, you, you need to be in the right car. It's the same as endurance. In endurance, if you are not in the right car, there is very little you can do as a driver. You need to, have, you need to be a good driver to be in the good car. But if you're not in the good car, it's very little. You, or there is not so much you can do. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you still follow F1 closely when you're not busy racing yourself. So do you think they've done a decent job with the, the new cars, the new regulations? Uh, do you think they've had the impact that they were aiming for? And would you like to get behind the wheel of a 2022 car? Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. The cars uh, are extremely fast, extremely exciting. And I think Formula One has gone, not talking about technical development of the V6 with the hybrid and the and the care systems that I think is a disaster. But talking about the overall, uh, let's say, direction of Formula One with getting the cars uh, uh, to being more equal and changing the rules and making the car uh, bigger and faster, I think they, they, they made a, a very good move, yes. 
So away from Formula E, you're co-founder and sustainability ambassador for the e-scooter championship. So for those of our listeners yes. that don't know, do you want to explain a bit more about the championship and where you can see that going? Yes. Yeah, so imagine, <laughs> thank you very much. So imagine a scooter, like the scooter that you can rent, the Lime or the Bird or whatever, this micro scooter, that electric one that you can rent. Those scooters, they have uh, about half horsepower of power, right? And that's more or less the power that uh, an average cyclist um, can deliver over the course of a, a ride, of a, uh, uh, putting a lot of power, let's say. Uh, if you go for a ride, that's more or less the power you put on a bike. Um, so we wanted these scooters to be the normal road cars, and then our scooters to be the Formula One or Formula E cars. So we developed a scooter that has uh, 20 horsepower, so the power of 40 of those scooters, and they can reach speeds over 100 kilometers per hour. And those scooters are race scooters. You need to, the tires, you can choose soft, you can choose medium, you can change the software, you can change the power distribution, you have to cool the battery, and so on. And then we took, uh, we did a test with more than 250 riders. We choose the 30 best. We allocate them in 10 teams of three riders each, and we created a championship. And the idea is that by meritocracy, the best riders of each country, they get selected to a draft. Uh, the teams, they have to select, they have to select the riders from that draft. So if you want to go up the ladder, you can just buy a scooter on your neighborhood, practice in a go-kart track you be selected, you be the top five of your country, you go to the draft, the team has to select you, and then you become a professional rider, you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars by racing e-scooters around the world. So we want to create uh, the Formula One or Formula E of the micro-mobility and the scooter market. And that's what we did this year. This year was an experimental first season of the e-scooter. We did two rounds so far, London and Switzerland. There will be another two rounds very soon. It will be announced. Um, and the idea is to create a global ecosystem of people that like to uh, become pro riders of, uh, of micromobility and to use the, the, um, the businesses related to micromobility, which <clears throat> nowadays it's a total market cap of around 40 billion euros of uh, of uh, total uh, revenue for this segment which is micro mobility and is growing about uh, 15 to 20 percent year over year and to use this potential to uh, get the sponsors getting the teams and getting people interested to uh, uh, uh to ride it so that's the general overview of the e-scooter championship <clears throat> i was one of the co-founders we started this project in 2018 uh, and there is, um, uh, yeah, and there is a, a CEO and a, a COO, Khalil and Rag, which are running the business on a daily basis, and the and the business is based in London. It sounds brilliant. I uh, I live in Paris, so I've got a, a electric scooter. I know I know them well, and I've only just found out about that championship. I think, yeah, I really look forward to seeing <laughs> what you guys do with that. <laughs> you can actually. You can uh, see it uh, and you can apply. So if you're interested to be part of it or to try it, send us a message on the social media. There is Instagram, Twitter, everything. Uh, so 
uh, not you, James, you can just, uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're invited anyway. But anyone <laughs> listening to us uh, want to be part of it and want to try it, uh, we have this uh, scheduled testing that could come or just come and uh, try to be uh, try to, to schedule a test. And if you're good enough, you, you might be ended up racing at one point. So, and to keep on the topic of sustainability, which you've done a lot of work in, um, you also founded the Fuel Conservation Organization of Smarter Driving in 2007. That's, that's true. That's a good one. <laughs> then um, you were also made a cleaner ambassador in 2018 in the United Nations Environment Program. So can you tell us a bit more about the work that you've done there? Uh, so yeah, this, this NGO I founded in 2007 while I was actually in Formula 2. Uh, and the, the general idea is it's kind of simple, right? We, uh, a, a motorsport is a platform for us to have entertainment, but also for us to develop the technology and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, to transmit uh, this um, this know-how or to uh, connect with the fans uh, in a way that we can uh, we can incentivize them to drive safer, better, uh, and to promote technologies that will make uh, mobility better for everybody in the long run. Of course, we do we do that through racing and through extreme technology that not always is relevant to the commercial car. And that was one of the battles I had with the Vettel on the social media uh, the other day. Uh, so most of the technology in racing are not strictly relevant on a direct basis to a commercial car. Some of them never will. Some of them will reach your commercial car at one point. But the idea in general is to make mobility better and to entertain people. Football only entertains people. It doesn't make anything else better uh, in terms of technology. But racing has this capacity of actually entertaining people and actually develop technologies that will make uh, uh, the world better. And when I say the world better, it's not hugging trees and uh, eating tofu and this type of stuff. When I'm saying the world better, it's basically... Um, providing cheaper mobility. So in the UK uh, or in Europe, there was an energy crisis. There is an energy crisis. So if you have cheaper, faster mobility, you're able to still move if you have a minimum wage. If we didn't have this technology, people would have to move by foot or they could not move from a point A to point B. So uh, making uh, a mobility cleaner, one of the big problems we have in the world is pollution. And pollution is not the same as climate change. We can go another three hours to discuss this. But pollution is one thing. Climate change is another thing. CO2 is not a pollutant. CO2 makes climate change, but CO2 does nothing. You're actually exhaling CO2 now. Uh, you're actually combusting right now. So you're taking oxygen, combusting with carbohydrates and creating CO2 and water. The same as an engine does, but it does inside your cells. So <clears throat> what we need to fight is uh, uh, pollution and pollution has many different forms. Uh, we can develop better tires to use less tires on the roads. We can develop less uh, uh, vehicles that doesn't emit gases when you're cycling or does not create pollution in cities. I went to Delhi to check 
nine out of 10 children in Delhi today, which are born and raised in Delhi, they have chronic pulmonary disease. We are losing months and years out of our lives, uh, especially people that live in dense-packed cities in, in uh, developing countries. And uh, that's what technology does. Technology actually makes uh, everything better. So using motorsport as a platform to, to try to push that forward, is that what I want to do? Is something that I think is one of our uh, uh, our legacy uh, as 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 a, let's say racing drivers as a, as as a as a sport is one of them, and is the one I like the most. So it's the one I, I've been pushing the most. Well, yeah, um, like you say, uh, it's it's a hugely important thing right now, and it's great to see all the stuff that you're doing towards it. And uh, we're staying away from four wheels and moving on to two legs or, or four limbs, I guess. Uh, you also take part in triathlons, I believe, yeah? Uh, what do you particularly enjoy about them? And uh, have you ever come across Jensen Button? The one before, you know, you <laughs> yeah, I, actually, yeah, I, I did uh, before I had the kids, actually. Uh, then after that, I had no time anymore to, to, to cycle so much. But yes, I, I trained with Jensen many, many times um, uh, here in Monaco when he was living here. Then he moved to, into the US or California or somewhere <clears throat> when he stopped racing. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I've done a couple of triathlons in my life. Um, I'm not a, uh, anymore a, a huge, I, I still run uh, three to four times a week. I cycle once, twice a week. I swim when I can. Um, but yeah, um, I, I love sports in general. So any anytime I have uh, free, I'm either playing tennis or surfing or running or at the gym or doing something uh, uh, that, I, that I enjoy. Nice. Uh, we, we can, I think, hear one of your kids in the background, maybe. So Yeah, that was, my, that was you, my daughter. Yeah, my, <laughs> my daughter making a little bit of a mess. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, we won't keep you too much longer then, but I do have one final special question for you. It's something we ask all our guests. Uh, here at Formula Nerds, we have a, a motorsport time machine. I don't know if you've seen Back to the Future, but... It's like yes. the DeLorean in that, only a bit of faster, obviously. Uh, so basically, I'm going to offer you the chance to get into it and go anywhere in motorsport history. Any series, any time, past, present, future. Uh, you can be driving, watching, a member of the pit crew if you want to, or in a sidecar alongside someone, whatever you like. Uh, so if you go anywhere, uh, at any time, where would you go? Interesting question, but without thinking too much, uh, definitely to watch um uh probably being already an adult uh to um to realize and to uh and to and to live the emotions of Ayrton Senna winning that uh, iconic Brazilian race uh with only two years or uh, yeah, that uh, was yeah 1991 that was very emotional I was 1991 I was five years old uh so yeah, it would have been uh, great to to be there and to see uh, actually even to talk to Senna, which I never did. And I'm in motorsport largely because of him. So uh, um, I think that, that that would be it. I drove actually one of those cars. I drove the really I think the '78 or something Copper Super car from uh, Emerson Fittipaldi, wow. uh, and I, I I drove a couple of old Formula One and uh, and those cars are horrible to drive. If people say, ah, oh, I love driving uh, old cars, 
They like the memory of them driving the old cars. The old cars are horrible. They are dangerous. <laughs> they don't work. The steering has a play of 15 degrees. The modern cars are much nicer to drive, trust me. So I don't really would like to drive those cars or be at that age of motorsport driving those cars. Uh, but I have full, I have a huge respect for those drivers because it required a completely different set of skills. Um, skills that we don't need nowadays. Uh, the sport is very safe. The cars are very easy, easy to drive in the sense that uh, everything works in a very uh, harmonic way different from back then that the brakes were like uh, soft and one wheel off the other didn't even have uh, uh, the tires were not developed or, so probably watching Senna uh, 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 winning that race that's a great answer uh, it's one of the best we've had we've had some very interesting but yeah I, I agree with you I think that would have been an amazing place to have been and for a Brazilian, I have to I have to say that because it's yeah. definitely with that uh, <laughs> in my memory. It's the only answer. Yeah. Uh, well, Lucas, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck for season nine. Uh, we hope to see you back on the top step of the podium again, and uh, you'll all catch up too. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time, and uh, thanks for hosting me in the show. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Podcast Network.